0: Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, I want to remind you of our motto, just in case somebody hasn't heard it, help me out with it. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Does that mean we can fix everything or do everything? Probably not, but it means we're going to do all we can to love you and serve you and show you that God loves you. You know, I love to tell stories. When I was a little kid, when I was a kid, I had a little sister who's about 10 years younger than me and I used to make up stories for her at uh, at night. Now, I, I texted her yesterday. I said, do you remember when I used to tell you stories about Timothy Mouse? That was a recurring character in these stories. Timothy Mouse was a hungry little mouse who would go in a farmer's house and always ended up getting some part of his cha- tail chopped off. So, you know, we were a little vicious, I guess, back in the day. And uh, she had this little stuffed animal. It was a cat that I got her out of a crane machine, a claw machine. You remember those? I actually won something, and it had a nose that was very off-center, and he was, like, so ugly. He's cute, and he, she named him Tom Tom, so I would t- make up stories about Tom Tom, and when my kids came along, I've made up all kinds of stories, and I asked them yesterday, well, what's some of the stories that, that you like that I've made up, and they're like, Dad, we never know when you're making it up or not, and maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a compliment. I took it as a compliment, So we don't ever really know, because years later, they'll find out that something I told them was a complete fabrication, and they don't take it well. You know, some of the stuff that I tell them, you know, I had Isabel convinced for a period of time that her real dad was an astronaut who was lost in space, and uh, that was not one of my finer moments, but, you know, I love to tell stories, I love that I get to stand up here and tell stories to you. It's a great joy of my life. You see, human beings, we're wired for stories. We are able to learn long lists of information and facts and figures, but that does not come naturally for the most part. But story is easy. So here's my my suggestion to you. If you've ever got to communicate something important, whether it's in front of a crowd or just to somebody and they need to get the point, one of the best things you can do is tell it as a story. You know who did that all the time? Jesus did that all the time. He loved to tell stories. He came with the most important message in history, but he didn't deliver it like a college lecture. He left the, like the professorial statements to the Apostle Paul and some of the others. He told stories, or as the gospel writers call them, parables. A parable is a small story that tells a big truth. So we're in Mark chapter 12. We finally made it in our study to chapter 12 in the book of Mark where Jesus told a parable about workers in a vineyard. And uh, he had just had an encounter with these these religious elites, some scribes and priests and and Pharisees and uh, these should have been the guys most excited to see Jesus because they knew about the prophecies of the Messiah. They should have recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't. They did not like Jesus at all. They imagined that the Messiah, the Savior, would show up and challenge the Roman oppressors. The Romans were in charge of everything at the time. And then Jesus showed up and he challenged the religious establishment, and they were the religious establishment. And they liked things the way they were because the way things were gave them power and prestige. And they did not like that he was threatening their power and their prestige. They they couldn't see that the power and authority that they had was not for their own benefit. It was so they could help people. Now, we can't imagine that at all, that the people in power... <laughs> Uh, seem to be all about the power and not so much about helping the people. We couldn't imagine that a bit, so we're just, you know, try, try to imagine it if you can, living in a world where the powerful people uh, um, don't really care about the, the small people. Um, it's easy for us to get on board with that idea, isn't it? Of course, people should use what they have been given to help others, especially when it's something like that. It, it's supposed to be a position of trust a position of stewardship that's kind of a churchy word that doesn't get used so much outside the church world but it means it's not really yours it's yours to use for the good of somebody but here's what I want to challenge you with you might not have a position of authority or of a, a political office or anything but every single thing you've been given is a stewardship and a trust every single blessing every single resource Every opportunity, every ability that you have, every skill that you have, every talent you have is given to you by God. And it's on loan. It's not just for you, it's for something bigger. I want to show you today that God's given you a vineyard. Okay, so He hasn't really given you a grape farm. Does anyone actually own a grape farm? No? Okay. So we're being a little metaphorical here, but God has given you a vineyard and he's entrusted you with more than you realize he expects you to be faithful with it so now if you don't mind i want to tell the story if if it won't bother you i'm going to tell the story of mark chapter 12 uh, verses 1 through 12 for the most part i'm going to tell it as a narrative okay and uh rather than just reading the scripture off the page we'll get to some of that but let's pray and get started all right now i'll tell you a story heavenly father i pray now that you help us to see and understand that everything we have is a gift from you that it's not just for us, that it is, it's for a purpose, it's for bigger things. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to imagine the temple courtyard at Jerusalem, and it is packed elbow to elbow in there. The city is full of people who have come to Jerusalem for the biggest religious holiday of the year. It was called Passover. Everybody, all of the Jewish people who were able to make it to Jerusalem were supposed to come for this holiday, and many of them had. And among the crowd in the temple courtyard that day is Jesus and his disciples. Let me tell you, it's been a week for Jesus and the disciples. On Sunday of the week, which was the first day of the week, Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That doesn't sound like a very noble thing, but donkeys were associated with royalty at the time, and people were recognizing him as king. And and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That sounds awesome. So he goes back out. He's actually staying in a in another small town just outside the city. He comes back the next day after that big welcome and he goes to the temple. And you remember what he did there. He sees all of these dishonest merchants who set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. And what does he do? He turns over their tables. He chases them out. Back when I was growing up in youth group, we had something called WWJD. What would Jesus do? Just remember Turning over the tables is something that's within the realm of possibility of WWJD. And you'd think after he chases all these people out that that he may not come back to the city the next day, that he might let things cool down. That's not really his style. He comes back the next day, goes right to the same place where he turned over the tables and chased out these dishonest merchants, and he starts teaching And so the officials in the temple, they recognize, oh, my goodness, he's back. So they send a delegation of of priests and uh, leaders out to him, and they challenge him. They go up to him and say, by what authority do you do these things? And by these things, they meant all the things he did yesterday. So they're challenging him. Jesus turns it around on them and shows them that they don't really care about God's authority They just care about keeping their own authority, and that was their problem with him. So as he just finishes up telling them that they they don't really care about God's authority, while they are still standing there, while these religious elites are still fuming, he turns to his disciples who are listening and tells a story. And it goes like this. Once upon a time, a man planted a field of grapes, a vineyard we would call it. He put a strong hedge around it to protect it from animals that might come in and eat the grapes and from intruders that might come in and cause some mischief. He built a wine vat, which was like a pit where they would press out the grapes. They would stomp them out and the, get the grape juice to make wine. He built a tall structure in the middle of a vineyard, the vineyard for storing tools and equipment to provide shade and shelter for the workers and to be a watchtower for the folks who were there to see who was coming. Everything was ready to produce grapes and to produce wine, except he was going to a faraway country. He was not going to be working this land himself. So he made a deal with some local farmers. We don't know exactly how many. Let's just say there's three of them. Three local farmers he's made a deal with. They are going to work this land on his behalf. Instead of paying a rental fee up front like would happen a lot of the times, they would uh, work the land and they would get the harvest and they would give so much of the harvest to the man who planted the vineyard and they all shook on it and they said yep we'll do that and the owner of the vineyard said I'll be I'll send somebody back in about a year and we'll collect that. So when the year was up the man sent a messenger to check on this vineyard that he had entrusted to these guys and to receive what was agreed upon. The farmers Remember, they have the watchtower, so they're looking, and they see the messenger on the way, the messenger sent from the one who planted the vineyard, and, and then they put their plan into action. See, they had been talking about this. They've had a while to think about it, and they said, hey, guys, uh, the owner's far away, and we're the ones out here working so hard with all of this. I don't think we should give him anything. So they put their plan into action one of them goes out to meet the messenger, and he says, hey, buddy, how you doing? We've been expecting you. I guess you're here to receive the part of the, the harvest, right? Okay, sure, it's over here. We got it in the got it in the tower, wink, wink. Let's go. I want to go see. So the messenger steps inside the tower expecting to find this part of the harvest, but you can probably guess what's about to happen. The other two farmers jump out from behind some baskets, and they grab him, and they beat him up and they tell him don't you come back here again they send him away empty-handed so the messenger goes back and he tells the owner of the vineyard what happened and the owner of the vineyard is very upset you know he had trusted these farmers with this blessing with this resource and all he asked was you know for them to recognize his authority by giving some of it and and uh he is very patient and he sent another messenger and when they saw this other messenger coming they they lay in wait and they threw rocks at him and hit him in the head, and he went away bleeding from his head. And Then, you know, the, the owner of the vineyard heard about that, and he was very upset, but he's still being very patient. So he sent another messenger, and they killed that one. He's still patient. He sends messenger after messenger after messenger. Some of them they beat. Some of them they killed. But none of them were honored and received as they should have been. Finally, he's so upset, he sent all these messengers and these guys are not honoring the agreement and he decides to send his only son surely they would respect the son and keep their promises when the farmers saw the son coming in the distance they recognized him and said wait a minute this is the this is the heir to the property if we can kill him maybe we could have a legal claim to this land you know squatters rights and maybe we could take it over so they grabbed the son and they killed him And they threw his body outside of the vineyard. So Jesus pauses in the story right there, and he looks around at the crowd, and he he says, what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do to these farmers? So I'll put the question to you. You heard the story. What do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do? What's he going to do? They were given every opportunity. The whole vineyard was entrusted to them to use. All they had to do was acknowledge who it really belonged to, and honor him with the increase they received, but they refused. So, what happens? How did the story end? I know some of you. Sometimes I tell stories up here and I leave it on a cliffhanger, and y'all don't like that, and I get bullied after the service. Say, "Well, how did the story end, Pastor?" I said, "Well, how do you think it ended?" And they said, "That's not good enough. You need to tell us how it ended." Well, I'm going to tell you how it ended this time. Jesus said, "The owner of the vineyard." wiped out those wicked people and gave the farm to others. So how are we supposed to understand this parable? What do we do with this parable? Of course, it's very important to consider this story in the context in which it was told I'm telling you, when you're reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible, you can't just kind of take a verse or a section out by itself and, and consider it by itself. You need to understand how it fits into the whole story and what was going on and what was happening and kind of what other passages say about it. So let's let's try to build ourselves a foundation to work from here and uh, see how good you're paying attention. Have you been paying attention so far? I see. Yeah. Okay. So I'm really confident. I'm going to see if you if your knowledge matches your confidence here. I did tell you at the beginning that a story is a good way to remember things, so let's see if I've done a good job of telling you the story. Where were they when Jesus was telling the story? What was the location? In the temple, temple courtyard, okay? Who had he just had an encounter with? Kind of like a negative encounter with. The priests, Pharisees, the religious leaders, okay? They were challenging him. What were they challenging him about? Authority, his authority. And, oh, here's a tougher one. Uh, This one may be harder to answer, like in a one-word thing. So what did he expose about them? That they loved their authority and power. They received for representing God more than they cared about God's authority, more than where where it came from. So that'll be our baseline for understanding this. Okay, so in this parable, who do you suppose the landowner represents? God. Yes. He's the one who planted the vineyard. Everything is ultimately his. There's lots of things that we would say are ours. We'd say, okay, this is ours. And, you know, legally we would be able to maybe show a document that says ownership. Um, and, uh, but we would say it's ours. We would say, well, this land, this is our land or this house, that's our house or money is my money, my possessions, my family, my talent, my ability, my education, whatever. But consider this. Everything you have, you have it because God has given it, or at least has allowed you to have it. You have been given this as a gift, as a trust. That's your vineyard, so to speak. You've been given a vineyard, something that you can use to be Fruitful to do something with. Now, somebody's going to say, like I might say, say, oh, not me, fella. Nobody ever gave me nothing. I've worked my whole life for everything I have. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. My first question is, what is a bootstrap? And where did you get the bootstrap? You got it from somewhere. Look, where did you you know what? You absolutely should be hardworking and diligent and careful. You should. Yes. But where did you get the ability to do what you do? where did you get the opportunity to do what you do? Where, where did you get the resources or the training to do what you do to take care of yourself and your family? Your ability to earn a living is ultimately a gift from God. Your opportunity to earn a living is a gift from God. Yeah, you should use it, absolutely. But remember where the vineyard comes from. Every good thing is a gift of God. Every good thing is from him and for his glory. So in this story, it's God who planted the vineyard. Well, what's the vineyard? Well, in this context, we could say it's the promised land. There are some other Old Testament passages that point to Uh, The vineyard as an image of the promised land and Jerusalem, especially. And these tenant farmers, or in some translations, it calls them vine dressers, who were they? Well, that's the people of Israel. And especially the leaders. God put them in the promised land and gave them everything they need to prosper, gave them a good place to be. What about the grapes and the wine? Well, those are biblical symbols of prosperity and blessing. God blessed these people he put them in a place where they had an opportunity to thrive and what he asked in return was that they acknowledge his authority that they honor him in the parable they were supposed to show their obedience by giving him part of the harvest in uh, in the real world in practice the nation of israel was supposed to honor the authority of god by obeying him by doing what he said by following his law did they do that by and large no all throughout the old testament israel rebelled against god over and over again they choose, chose idolatry sometimes they chose to like literally bow down to a statue and be idolatrous that way at other times their idolatry was just making a god of themselves and not following his principles of right and wrong but following their own will in their own way god was patient with them he sent the many prophets and teachers to try to steer them away from their destructive behaviors. Some of them believed. Most of them did not. The prophets were rejected, usually because the prophets showed up and said, hey, y'all, y'all ain't doing this right. That's usually a good way to make somebody mad, right? To show up and say, um, um, actually, sometimes I'm that guy. My kids don't appreciate that. So, um, actually, here's what you should be doing. Um, they did not take that very well to say hey wait a minute you 're not you 're not honoring god you 're not obeying god you 're not doing what you 're supposed to do and people don 't take that well, so they were not very nice to the prophets. Some of the prophets they beat, some of them Jeremiah got thrown in a hole, and a lot of them got worse than that uh, we don 't have it in the scriptures, but it is thought that Isaiah was stuffed into a hollow log and sawed in two seems like a like a magic act gone wrong to me a pretty horrible way to go so they they rejected the prophets in the story the owner of the vineyard at last sent his only son we don't have to think really hard to decide who that represents who, who's the only son It's Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. He was sent as the ultimate messenger of forgiveness and grace. And in the parable, if the tenant farmers had listened to the son, they would have been forgiven of all the awful things they'd done before. And and they would have been given grace. They would have not been punished for what they did. But what did they do to the son? They rejected him as well. They killed him. They dragged him outside the vineyard and cast him Away. And you have to understand in this point of the story with Jesus, we're only a few days away from that happening to him. A few short days from when Jesus told this story, the very religious leaders who were standing near him, listening to him talk, were going to conspire against him and have him arrested under false pretenses put him through a mockery of a trial and then take him outside the city outside the vineyard and kill him by crucifying him on a cross jesus knows this and he makes a prophetic statement here um he quotes psalm 118 22 through 23 but we find it in verses 10 and 11 of this scripture if you'll put that up jeniah have you not even read this scripture and now he quotes psalms The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And if you'll camp out on verse 10 and hold it there for a minute. Most houses and buildings in that time and place were made out of stone and the most important stone was the cornerstone anybody ever done any brick laying stone laying whatever you know you got to get the corner right or nothing else will be right so these guys would select a stone that was the most perfect stone to be the the corner and they would judge everything off of that all the lines would come off of that so it had to be the right one and if a stone had a flaw in it it couldn't be the cornerstone they could maybe use it for something else but not the cornerstone so this was prophetic The religious leaders saw Jesus, but they decided that he wasn't fit to be the cornerstone. He didn't meet what they thought the Messiah should be. They were wrong. Jesus was destined to be the cornerstone, he is the one, he's the only one who fits the bill he he's the only one that we can build our lives on he's the only foundation that makes any sense i'm up here holding this not mic not just because i was raised up around church but because i've seen in life there is nothing else you can build your life on that is going to last and is going to be there for you because you can try it all you can do it all and in the end you're going to come back you're going to have to come back to jesus if you want to have a life that matters and is stable and makes a difference he is the cornerstone but the religious leaders would not accept that and they brought the same judgment on themselves as the the farmers in the story they rejected every messenger sent from god and even in that moment right there these religious leaders who are who are kind of the farmers from the story they are rejecting the son that was sent to them and the same destruction was coming so we do actually know how they responded. It's in verse 12. If you'll put that up, verse 12 tells us how they felt about it. They took it real well. They sought to lay hands on him, and they wanted to kill him. But they feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them, so they left him. And they went away. They, they knew that Jesus was talking about them. And they went away. They, they wanted to grab him, but they couldn't, so they went away. Went away to do what? went away to finalize the plot against jesus and they did they made a secret deal with one of his 12 disciples to betray jesus and a few nights later judas iscariot led them to the place a secret place in the garden where he was praying and you know what happened from there it's going to look like the bad guys won Like in the parable, it looks like the bad guys won. It looks like, hey, we're going to get the land. We're going to steal this vineyard. They killed the son, and it looks like the story's over. But what happened next? The owner of the vineyard dealt with it. And destruction was coming, too, to these leaders and, and to the whole corrupt system. A generation later, a Roman general named Titus would march into Jerusalem, burn it to the ground, Every stone of the temple was dismantled because they set it on fire and all the gold in the temple melted down into the stones And they just tore it all apart to get the gold people who were recovering So there was nothing left and to this day it has never been rebuilt If you've heard of the wailing wall in jerusalem That's the only tiny little bit of the temple that was left Which was not really part of the temple so much as a retaining wall Part of the foundation and that is all that has been left nearly two thousand years later the temple was destroyed, the nation was scattered, and that was the end. But something far more important than that happened, something more drastic than the destruction of the temple or the scattering of the people, more, more destructive than anything, more significant than anything. Look at verse 9. It's kind of hidden in here. It's kind of a quiet verse. Therefore what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. This is symbolic on several levels here. In a very practical way, the promised land was overrun by other nations for nearly 2 millennia. You know after that that happened what I just said happens, you know about 30-40 years after the crucifixion is when Jerusalem was destroyed. And Israel did not become a sovereign nation again until after World War II. So it's like 1,877 years or something if you do the math. But in a in a much more powerful way, something else was taken from them. The kingdom of God was given to others. The Gentiles, Gentiles meaning non-Jewish people, so unless you're your family tree is significantly Jewish. You're probably a Gentile. Most of us are. You see, by and large, now it's the Gentiles who recognize Jesus as the Savior. Now, let me tell you, I am so very, very thankful that it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, where your background was, what color your skin is, or any of that, you can be a part of the family of God when you trust in Jesus Christ you got brothers and sisters all over the place who don't look anything like you, but you're in the same family because they've trusted in Jesus too. So I I do want you to understand that, but I want you to see also the heartbreak here that for the most part, God's chosen people didn't choose him. There's still hope. The Lord allowed Israel to return to the promised land, 1947. So physically, he, he brought them back, and spiritually, he's going to bring them back too. Our Revelation Bible study starts Wednesday evening, and one of the things we're going to see, part of the purpose of the tribulation period and all of that is so Israel rec- will recognize their Messiah and, and really come back and, and honor God and, and be part of the family of God like they should be, They'll recognize who Jesus really is, the Messiah. And I I love Jesus. You know, they did kill him. They did crucify him. We're coming up not so far from Easter. And that's about, you know, that was the time of year when Jesus was crucified. But what happened three days later after the crucifixion, he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He overcame death. He didn't stay dead. And if you'll trust in him, you will triumph over death as well. I ain't saying you're going to die in three days later, you're going to rise, but you will go and be with Jesus. And someday the resurrection is coming. So So now you've heard the story. I got to tell my story. Thank you so much for listening so much and maybe nudge the person beside you and say thank you for being so quiet and attentive. What a good listener you are. So what do we do with it? What do we do with it now? Okay, I got got three things, three takeaways. All right, go ahead and put the first one up, Janai, and just let it camp out there for a minute. Recognize that everything you have is a gift from God. You have a vineyard. And you're going to say, well, he didn't give me very much. Don't matter. Whatever you've got, it's from God. All your treasure, all your talent, all your time. It's not just for you. It is a trust. It is a stewardship. Every resource, every gifting, every opportunity is from him and for him. It's on loan. It's his, really, but it's on loan to you now for you to do something with it honor god with the vineyard he has given you maybe it's big maybe it's small but whatever it is honor god and and people hear a message like this so well he's just talking about giving you know it's just about money it's not did you see anybody pass a plate today we don't even pass a plate you know we just have the boxes so we kind of like take that element out people say well churches just want my money no probably not but we just kind of take that away we just you know drop it in the box if you want to give. It's not just about money, it's about everything you are. God don't want your money. He wants you. The whole money thing is just because that's that's sort of like the most obvious thing that we cling to. But he wants you your time, your talent. It's given to you so you can do something with it. Don't let anyone ever tell you you don't have a purpose or you don't matter or you don't have value because God made you just the way you are and gave you what you have right now because you are made to make a difference. So embrace that. Do something with what God has put in your hands. All right, number two. Don't ignore God's messages. God is sending messages to you all the time. You might not always see it, but all the time god is speaking. If you'll read his word, he'll speak through his word. You should read his word. You don't want to miss that. He can speak through the circumstances of your life. He can speak through Bible teaching like this, through friends who are believers. God can speak through the people he puts in your path. Some of these I've had I feel like I've had god give me a message to someone who didn't even know God before just because they said something that spurred the thought wait this is what God's doing God is so merciful he sends messenger after messenger message after message and he sent his son don't be like the people who ignored the message someday it's going to be too late don't miss that message All right, number three, the third thing, believe in the son. That's kind of like the the ultimate, the last line of the parable, you know, that they didn't believe in the son and and, and it cost them. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. The religious leaders in the crowd that day refused to believe that. They rejected Jesus. Don't be like them. They paid for that. Don't be like them. Receive the good things that God wants to give you. Believe in the message of Jesus. Give your life to him. Live in obedience. Put everything you have, every resource, every talent, every ability, every opportunity to work in a way that honors him and serves his purpose. And it is not just like getting up in front of a crowd and preaching or or singing or something. Whatever gifting you have, you're going to go to work tomorrow, some of you, and you've got giftings that you're going to use there. Use it not just to make a living, but to make a difference to do something for him. You're going to go leave this place and you're going to go somewhere, a home, restaurant, I don't know. Everything you've got, use it for God's glory. That's your vineyard. Use it for him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to be people who recognize that everything we have is from you and we need to use it in a way that honors you. God, forgive us when we use our time and resources and abilities in for things that don't matter and for things that make the world a darker place lord please help us to steer away from that god make us people who center on jesus and want to use everything we have to glorify him to honor him to do what is good and right in jesus name we pray amen amen lord willing we're going to be back in the book of mark next week so read ahead and check that out thank you so much for being a part of this today I hope you have a blessed week and use that vineyard God gave you for his glory. Take care.